Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, mechanical atmosphere. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. And today, we are talking about something that came up as a result of your playing at the, at the con that you mentioned last week. So, so, so it's, it's actually a little bit more than that. I, I to- totally spaced on I actually went to a seminar on it, on a mechanical atmosphere. Um, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, and I believe that's available as a podcast somewhere. They recorded it. I don't know what the name of the podcast is, unfortunately. I will try and find it. Um, but if I can't, it's uh, Metatopia. It was called Mechanical Atmosphere, I believe. Um, and they talked a lot about um, games I wasn't familiar with. Um, and did a little bit of base level stuff, but since you're not, um, they talked about about a it's called a game called Bluebeard's Wife, and a game called uh, Harlem Unbound were were popular ones to talk about. Um, uh, but uh, given that you didn't have a chance to, to talk about it, and I think that there's more to explore since uh, um, I think D and D got breezed over, and Pathfinder got breezed over a bit because they're kind of viewed as like. The old standards, and they, they, they did talk a little bit about some of the mechanical ap- impact they had, but I, I think it's a thing worth talking about. I think it's very interesting. Um, I think there's also some parallels in video games, although that space is a little bit more limited. You have less opportunity to kind of play with those things. Um, but uh, um, just to kind of give you an example off the top of what we're talking about, we're talking about mechanical atmosphere. It's how the mechanics of the game influence kind of the mood of the game. And the best example, I think, is a game called Dread, which I have not gotten to play yet. I really want to, though. Um, it's a horror-themed game, and every time your character has to do something that like would normally require a role in another game, you have to pull a block out of a Jenga tower. And if the f- tower falls, um, you get some narrative control over it, but your character dies. Um, and uh, so the, 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 the tension in the pulling the block from the Jenga tower... Um, really feeds into the tension in the game. It's supposed to be a, an amazing game to play. Like I said, I haven't gotten a chance to yet. Um, but uh, we have played a variety of games. I think we can talk about kind of the mechanical atmosphere in those games. Uh, any initial thoughts from you, buddy? So I feel like mechanical atmosphere might be the same concept as um, game feel is one way people talk about it. I prefer the term kinesthetics um, because it is fancier and fancy terms are nice. Um and and which you typically hear in things like, uh, you know, the kinesthetics of Destiny Two are better than the kinesthetics of Warframe. Splatoon. Warframe, yeah, something like that. You know what I mean? Like some game that is good at shooting and the and the shooting feels good, right? Yeah. That is a that's that's a kinesthetic feeling. Um, and it's specific and it's it's kind of a weird thing because a lot of the time it's mitigated through your controller in a video game sense, right? So like. You know, the pulling the right trigger button to fire your gun is more kinesthetically satisfying than hitting one of the face buttons because firing a gun is more is more like a trigger right. than it is like a face button, right? And so, like, it's it, it's it is the it is the 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 total of those kinds of decisions that come into games, um, and uh, and I actually think that for. Game, for tabletop games, you get into some really interesting territory just because of like the way that we deal with things like dice or cards or you know like any, any of the different sort of like resources or whatever RNG engine you have in your game, like the Jenga Tower, right? Like all of these comes come with different kinds of you know like different kind of baggage, if that makes sense. Um, 
like for instance, uh, in in D and D, you're you're rolling dice, right? And the in the core RNG is about what comes up with those dice, and there's almost kind of like a like a gambler's feel to that um, compared to something like in the Marvel game, um, in like the Marvel universe uh, RPG. There is no randomizer; it's just about um, resource allocation. You you have like a certain number of beads, and anytime you want to do something, you pay in. You part part of your resources, right? And the, and those two and those two systems will always just like feel differently because sure. there's not the tension of the roll or the tension of pulling a Jenga piece or the tension of, you know, pulling a card out of a deck when you're counting cards or something like that. You know, to kind of to kind of differentiate things. Sure, um, I get that. I I, I totally get that. I, I think that this concept differs a little bit from kinesthetics in that sense. In that. It's not just kind of like the, the, the feel of the physical attributes, but like how those mechanics influence how you feel about the game, right? Like a a D twenty two D twenty games can have very different feelings based on kind of what like pers- like you know, like what your target counting numbers are counting down, yeah, that kind or, of thing. Or or or, yeah, or even like, you know, if your typical task in uh in like D and D is like somewhere in eight to 10 range, right? Like it's a task that you expect to hit. That's like the most common task you hit. Whereas something like Cthulhu, it might be weighted a little bit higher. You're expected to fail more if you're tasking you or to succeed at them. And that's telling you different things about like the atmosphere of the game and like, you know, the noble brightness or the grim darkness of the, of, of the certain, uh, of each game. Um, I actually right. think that this is a, like, I'm, I'm a big proponent of not doing horror in D and D cause it's not like a system built for it. And I think that th- yeah. this, this kind of strikes at some of those things, like the mechanics, um, one, um, you know, feel very tactical. Like that's kind of obvious. Everything's on battle mats. Everything's like built around combat as a core conceit. And when it is like that, like there's an expectation of success in a lot of places in, in, in a lot of the roles, um, combat is frequent. And it's one, it's a thing that you're supposed to win most, if not all of the time. Um, just you know at varying degrees of success um and i think that atmosphere that that kind of mechanical atmosphere doesn't lend itself well to uh horror games even though um, so so here's an interesting question about mechanical atmosphere is it entirely around rolling dice or like so for instance another piece of mechanical atmosphere that i would say if i follow this line of logic right that makes horror games a hard thing to do in D, it is that D is predicated on weak becoming strong right right everything you do you gain experience points and experience points gains you more numbers and stats and you get better and better and you come back and you fight you know you fight monsters that you used to fight and you defeat them it's a power fantasy essentially right right right, right. Absolutely. none of those none of those are about the dice rolls right that that's all about the numbers hitting the page yes. but they are obviously still mechanics is that still yes that is absolutely part of mechanical atmosphere okay. yeah yeah that that's actually kind of um uh, like some of the things that we discussed that, that were discussed in that panel was like um, uh, I'm again I'm not familiar uh, familiar with it but Bride of Bluebeard is 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 a game about like you're pay- playing like I believe it's you play like the like different aspects of a woman who's being um, like married to a pirate as kind of like a protectionism type of thing yeah yeah um, Bluebeard it's a it, that's a fairy tale the Bluebeard bluebeard's wives or something like that oh is it i'm i'm not familiar but um it's it's kind of it's kind of uh i only know it because of the bill willingham comic book fables okay Uh, bluebeard is a recurring character in that in that comic book um and so but yeah yeah um so the uh like the i again i don't know much about it but the 
like the mechanics are make are meant to make you feel kind of like like you're struggling, um, and that you're not, and, and you know that that a lot of this is kind of like hopeless and it's like an endless cycle. Um, I believe that's predicated a lot on failure more than it's like kind of like dice rolls or or, or anything like that. Um, uh, an example that I think kind of. Uh, talks to a one one that doesn't work well are, are betrayal feats in Pathfinder. Um, if we find the uh the pod the, the podcast anywhere, that's I actually brought that up during that discussion. But you know, those betrayal feats are teamwork feats, and they just don't fit into Pathfinder very well. Um, I think they're neat in that they're like asymmetric, but like, and that's neat innovation. But in terms of atmosphere, it doesn't fit into the game very well. Um, doesn't really like fit into like the power fantasy stuff very well, especially because you can't really like force them on other people, which is important from, like, a gameplay perspective, but just doesn't mesh very well with the world that is Pathfinder. Um, and maybe the answer to that is that the, the those feats aren't supposed to be taken by players, and they're meant for uh, monsters mostly, but, yeah. uh, you know, anything anything that's there to look at is is uh, not... Uh, not Especially the, the language around them, right? Like, the, the, the Betrayer feats and their team... Like, it just doesn't fit very well. Yeah, so I think then I would say that mechanical atmosphere... I mean, it is just sort of an aesthetic thing. Um, I'm trying to, like, think of how I would sort of, like, categorize it. But, like, so it seems as though kinesthetics is a function of this, but a subservient function. Yeah, I think that's And it's a larger umbrella term with other concepts in there. Um, Because I don't think that, like, kinesthetically there is anything to, um, you know, to, like, leveling up your character... Right, like, I mean, I, I, hypothetically, if I really wanted to get like wonky or something like that, I could say that like the pencil is your controller and erasing the stats and making the numbers higher feels good or some shit like that. But at the end of the day, right, like there is nothing kinetic, right, about the about those kinds of mechanics. But those mechanics still create an atmosphere, and that atmosphere is still like, um, uh, it it it, it drips into other concepts that aren't just kinesthetic. Um, yeah, and I also think it's also a slightly different axis, axis right? Because, like, shooting feeling good is not, like, a necessarily a design choice meant to, like, you know, evoke an emotion, right? Like, yeah. like I feel like kinesthetics have a have a tendency to, be, like, to have, like, a more objective scale. Like, I think you can make the, the argument that, like, like, sloppy feeling shooting can be an intentional thing to kind of evoke a feeling in the game. But I think more often than not, it's just kind of you're making it as good as you can. Um, and so it doesn't really as much. Um, although I do think that there are things to be said for, like, um, the kinesthetics of a pencil and paper versus an, an online form. Um, but uh, I think yeah. – I don't, I don't know how much that falls into mechanical atmosphere. It's one of those things that I think is technically, like – you know, I think the argument to be made about your controller, quote unquote, for a D&D game being a pencil and paper versus a keyboard and mouse does make like a real difference or whatever. Um, like, I think that, you know, like if I was in debate club and I had to debate that point, I would probably fall on the side of like, yeah, technically speaking, yes, it is a controller in the way that we would think of. Um, but like, it's kind you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 a little bit like saying a hot dog is a sandwich, um, in the <laughs> sense that like, you know, <laughs> uh, it might be like technically true by definition, 
or whatever but it doesn't really like work that way a lot of the time in practice and it's like a very much an edge case and an outlier so so i think i agree with you but i also do think that you can talk about the kinesthetic value of like digital versus physical forms i think also the mechanical atmosphere right like i think like a slick app that keeps track of your cyberpunk stats or your or your shadow run stats feels more thematically appropriate than uh than it would in a, in a high fantasy game um Oh, like a high fantasy game where like I soak my character sheet in coffee to give it that like brown, yeah, and yeah. Then I, like singe the edges or something like sure. that, yeah, and, yeah. And, like crumple it up to make it feel like parchment. You know, like hypothetically speaking, that's kinesthetically more pleasing. Yeah, okay, I, I would buy that. Yeah, yeah, and and you know maybe it's not your character sheet, but if the GM bothers to do that for like in game notes or whatever, um, yeah, 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 or, or stuff like that, right? Man, uh, like this is a total tangent, but I'm just imagining like, you know, like. You see a note in the fire, right? And then the GM just lights an envelope on fire and throws it on the table and says, go. Um, oh, my God. That would actually be awesome. Just because <laughs> I kind of like the idea of putting the onus on the player to, like, put the note out yeah. and read it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so there is um, – I think this actually this, this ties in. Um, the first time I ever played Paranoia, um, which is a comedy, like, um, uh, a future, like – dystopia type game basically you're um you're playing a bunch of enforcers of of like a of a of, i guess i guess it's uh it's like a techno fascist dystopia basically friend computer runs everything and you you have to you have to keep like the uh the people like and everything's like a, a horrible bureaucracy um and you play a kind of enforcers of its will um um and the first time i played this game uh, like so Accusing other players of treason is, like, a, a common thing. Uh, the game is also built, like, that you start out with a six-pack, essentially. If one of your character, if your character dies, um, a robot will go fetch one of your clones, um, and you've got six of them to start out with, so it's kind of meant to be fast and loose like that. But getting to the point, um, at one point in the game, uh, two, uh, so as we're playing, somebody accused somebody else of, of treason, and, like, the, the GM has the player fill out a form, um, send it back to computer and then, or send it back to friend computer and he gets like permission to to execute the the other the other player so he does later in the game it's me and another player accused each other of of treason and she just handed us two forms and was like well go for it and so we were just like racing to fill out this form as fast as possible and submit it to friend computer so that we could uh we could basically start shooting at each other um and it's like the franticness of that and kind of like the tone of that all contributed to making the game like super goofy and, and super fun and like really driving home those principles rather than kind of like, you know, like I accuse him of treason and like your friend computer saying like, oh, okay. Um, so I do think that, that the kinesthetics can enhance, um, en enhance mechanical atmosphere. And I definitely think that there's a point at which they're, they're kind of deeply tied, but they're not totally synonymous and they're not, you know, and, and uh, and they're not necessarily incumbent on one another, if that makes sense. Like, there's definitely a point where they meet, um, but that's not always the case, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, I feel that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's funny because I typically think of... Uh, I, I do a lot of thinking in categorical terms around because i so in college i learned about aristotle's poetics and i think i've talked about this on the cats before and he breaks down aristotle breaks down um uh, he's talking about tragedy specifically but he breaks it down into six things that translate kind of roughly to plot character theme um setting 
aesthetic, spectacle, in that order, right? Like, the most important thing is plot, the least important thing is spectacle, kind of, right? Um, and, uh, and I don't think that that holds true for every medium necessarily. For instance, um, the, you know, like, he, there, there's a certain argument to be made that, that these things shift around depending on what you're doing, right? If I'm making a training video, right? Or if I'm making, actually, a music video is better than this. If I'm making a music video, my cinematography and my editing matter a lot more than plot. Because a lot of the times music videos don't have narrative or a super strong narrative, right? If I'm making a commercial, right, a lot of the times stuff like like cinematography and editing are going to matter a lot more than plot. Um, and, and vice versa, like when it comes to sort of like games, there are some games where the narrative matters a lot, right? You can't play a game like, you know, The Walking Dead without a super strong narrative. We had a whole episode about how, about that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but you can play something that is basically all mechanics, right? Tetris is a great game because it's all mechanics and the, and the mechanics are great in the same way that, you know, some commercial or some music, some music video is good because of its cinematography yeah. is great. And this is the comparison, by the way. When I, when I compare cinematography to game mechanics, this is the kind of comparison that I'm making. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is this, this, is, this is echoes of last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah echoes and of so, last week. I mean, yeah. And so I sort of wonder to a certain extent w where mechanical atmosphere falls. Because on one hand, I want to classify this stuff sort of aesthetically, right? That these are all parts of the kind of aesthetics for, you know, the form in which this thing is presented kind of rather than its content and how that form affects that content. But also at a certain point of view, I sort of think that it's a setting and a world building thing. Yeah. Um, and, and it bleeds kind of across all of these different sort of like categories, which is maybe, which is maybe a good argument that these categories aren't as fixed as, you know, Aristotle or whoever might, might otherwise suggest that they are. Um, you know, like the dramatic tension of pulling a Jenga piece probably feels a lot like the tension of you know a scene in in you know like the the tension that gets generated by by plot when you know you know there's a bomb in the car and nobody and they're and they're about to start it or something like that sure um, um but you know in in defense of aristotle i guess um i feel like that tension of pulling the jenga piece is dependent on the scene also being t set tensely right like if it's like if, it, if it's kind of like a bad narrative that you're pulling a block for, I don't think it works as well. I think that these mechanics can elevate. Um, hmm, interesting. Rather, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they can basically elevate uh, some of these these other systems in, in a way. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm curious as to how important it is because I, I think this is also a case where, like, a, like bad – like, I, I'm having trouble envisioning something where a – mechanic will be bad but have good atmosphere to it right like i feel like there there's kind of like uh like a like, like there's some correlation it's not super tightly correlated right because i can imagine a very good mechanic that doesn't have good atmosphere for the thing you're, you're you're trying to achieve um but i can't imagine a bad mechanic that has good atmosphere if that ah, makes that sense that is super interesting and i'm now thinking about that and i don't know where i fall on it yeah because i i would agree if i'm doing a jenga piece well i mean to a certain extent tension is tension right right like maybe if i'm running a romantic comedy game 
you know, and the your character goes in for his first kiss with the woman or whatever, and he has to pull the Jenga piece. That's a tense moment, but it's a different kind of tense moment right. than, you know, opening up the cellar after you've been hearing scratching all night right. or something like that. Those are both tense, but one of them is tense in a horror way, and one of those is tense in a romantic way. And I sort of wonder... Right, but, like, like I, I think that's more like, you know, if we accept the Jenga Tower as a good mechanic, right? Like... It's a good mechanic, but with a bad atmosphere for the game you're playing, which which is the rom com, right? Yeah. Um, I don't like what would a, what would a bad mechanic be? Um, uh, like uh, like maybe like a uh, is there like maybe not such a thing as like a bad mechanic, just a mechanic that's not good for the system you're currently playing. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, so for instance, so I played a game called Underworld. Um, that was kind of interesting. And in Underworld, um, the whole game was based on coin flips. And it was right. a number of different coin flips. But the the purpose of that is that is Underworld... So, like, the idea of Underworld is that um, all of the magic in the U.S. Or all of the magic in the world, rather, is concentrated in the subway systems and the sewers under New York City. Because, like the New York City subway system actually happens to be, like, drawn as a massive, giant arcane rune, and nobody knew it at the time, and so it just collected all of the magic in the world. And so, like, you play... So, like, all your characters are, like, hobos and stuff like that um, that are, like, living in subway stations and shit, but they're also, like, magical. And so, like, I think that... I, I like coin flipping is that because you're playing with, like, change, right? Right. Um, you can pull out quarters and nickels and dimes or whatever and you're playing these kind of these like destitute hobo kind of characters um and you are flipping and you're flipping the coins like the the change or whatever and i feel like that system is worse than a system where you know you know like like a like a bead system from like the marvel from like the marvel system because it doesn't have that same kind of like connection to it if that makes sense right so i wouldn't necessarily say the bead system is bad but it is less apt than the coin system was right and sure. maybe there's a spectrum there and you can say oh well dice and cards are more apt than beads but less apt than change or something along those lines. Right, right? But, like, but but it's apt to the particular game, is it not, right? Like, you know... Yeah, I mean, it, it's a randomizer, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, the, the the point being that, like, you know, as we're, as we're talking about, the, the different mechanics you choose will have different effects on the game, right? Like, card games tend to have, like, a hand where you can basically choose what you're playing, and, like... There's kind of like a, you know, like a, a guiding fate aspect to it where like, you know, you can put off your failure by a little while um, to play like your, your, your best cards now or vice versa, right? Like you could fail now to guarantee that like you're, you will hold on to an ace to, to, to guarantee a win for an important junction in the future. Um, uh, and, and that obviously feels very different from a die because the die is the die and it rolls relatively fairly um, regardless. Um uh, and and th that has manifest uh, effects on how the game feels, um, and yeah. I I don't think I'd say that either one is better. They're just different and have, you know, and might be better suited for certain games. Um, uh, I, the the question I, I think I'm, I'm trying to ask is 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 there such a thing as a as a mechanic that's always bad that you would never want to do? Like I guess I could come up with like 
I don't know, like, I don't even know, like, even something ridiculous, I can, like, you know, like, you know, like, you, you have to, like, go target shooting or something, right? Like, I, I feel like there's a game where that would make a lot of sense. Um, uh, maybe, maybe, the like, maybe skill-based games or, like, like skill-based skill, skill -based mechanics are never great for uh, tabletop games because you're trying to, you know, let someone roleplay as opposed to, like, be them like you know like have to rely on their own physicality um i think i might buy that um i think i might buy that it's also just kind of like a, a difference in like vision for what a, a game is but yeah because i you know i think that there are some argue it's tough because this is all argumentation in a certain sense right like you could make arguments that certain mechanics are good or better than other mechanics or you could also like change things in a certain way so like for instance a version of underworld let's say there's a version of underworld that includes um you know that includes like a game or something that includes dice as like a major part of the world and so everybody's carrying dice on them all of a sudden you might have an argument to say yeah okay maybe playing with change is neat because everyone's playing hobos but playing was with dice is better because it has this in-universe connection yeah, yeah like you're playing gamblers dice. in a gambling hall or something yeah exactly exactly something kind of along those lines or whatever and so like it all it's it's it really comes down to sort of like what it's it's an interpretive thing and a, and a and a kind of subjective thing, and it's always going to be like maybe there is somebody out there who says, you know, I think this should be played with dice rather than, you know, rather than coins, or I think that this should be played with cards rather than you know, or something kind of along those lines, and they have their sort of reasoning for it. Um, I don't yeah. know. That's no, really interesting. I, I think that that's definitely a piece of of. of uh of mechanical atmosphere, right? Like, these all have these kind of associations with them, right? Like, whether they're, like, kind of the, the common real-world associations, right? Like, hobos to change or whatever, or just kind of the way that they 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 feel um, in execution, right? Like, uh, 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 like uh, dice pool games, right? Like, when you roll a bunch of dice, you get a distribution curve that, like, peaks at the middle, whereas when you're using, like, different types of dice, the, the like, a single dice all have flat distribution curves. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. And uh, I know I don't know if I could tell you right now like how that makes things feel different, um, but I think if if I thought about it hard enough and I played enough of both types of games, I could tell you that like you know um, that there's there's probably a practical difference there, right? Like um, like like Shadowrun as a dice pool game will give you will tend to have a lot more results that uh, that like skew towards the, the like the 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 median rather than. Uh, 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 rather than D and D, which you know is is going to have results that that are not only dependent on the randomizer itself, but also on kind of like what like your target your your, your normal target number is. Um, at some yeah, point, I played with I've I've played with a bunch of different randomizers, and they do have different you know like you know so for instance this is this is our friend Nick makes this point commonly that a that two D six is better than one D twelve for two reasons one the distribution of 2 to 12 is better than the distribution of 1 to 12, right? Right. Um, but also that because you're rolling two dice, you're more consistently hitting that, um, like, you know, 7 is going, to, is, is going to be the most common number. And so your consistent DPR of 7 is better than very swingy DPR 
between 12 and, and, and 1 right. sort of thing. And I kind of, like, wonder how much, like, that math is... I, I actually kind of like it to a certain extent because I do think that, you know, swinging a great sword for 2d6 should feel different than swinging an axe at 1d12. 1D12, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you are more likely to get that. You know, the nice thing about uh, the, the nice thing about the great axe is you are more likely hit, to hit a twelve. It's it's very rare to hit a twelve because um, it's one out of thirty six with two d six, but it's one out of twelve with a d twelve. And so, like your highs with a great axe are going to be higher, and that's cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, that's and I, you know, didn't didn't we have an episode about that where I've because where where we talked about how different weapons should function differently. And they did this in 4th edition with, like, crit and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, great axes have the best crit chance. Or, no, I'm sorry. Great axes have the best crit modifier because they do three times damage on a crit instead of twice. Um, then swords were the most ac- excuse me, were the most accurate because you get a proficiency bonus and their proficiency bonus was plus three instead of plus two. And then Mace's bludgeoning damage was the the highest base consistent damage. damage yeah. yeah, base damage. Um, yeah. And, and actually, I think that's a mechanical atmosphere. Oh, thing, yeah, absolutely. Right? I think yeah. that's like that's like very core mechanical atmosphere. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, which, which, we're, which we're getting in 2E, which excites me. I actually think that that's actually, that's super interesting. This is, this is, so I have always felt that like games that are like like there there are games that basically say that like you know you know large weapons all deal you know like you, you can essentially build out a wep- a custom weapon and like skin it however you want there um, yeah and I always felt that those like didn't feel great even though they technically gave me all the flexibility in the world that I wanted to like play the character I wanted to and I think that's, that's that this is like a really big part of that as to why I feel like I that those games fall short. Um, because you know there, there 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 isn't that differentiation and feel every weapon feels the same regardless of um what uh what you're doing i, I think we, we had that a little bit in um in uh in that game that we made for 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 hppg uh what was that called the one where we all like the one where we all made custom yeah, heroes yeah. uh i really like that game it yeah. was like iron something maybe i forget uh, it's like a, it was like on a water world with these big you know yeah. like those big metropolitan sort of things yeah and, and lots of cryptids i played like a sentient pile of seaweed abraham lincoln was like a yeah it was a guy was a, a real dead. character yeah um uh fuck oh yeah yeah that we so that that was an interest that was an in, we should see if we could dig up those documents because that's like i think an interesting case study in some of this stuff right um we did like um you know submit three ideas strike one or something like that um, yeah uh but like and you you always struck one from the person you posted behind you, but I think someone figured out that like what you did was you posted the two that you thought you really wanted, and you posted a really shitty third one that they would kind yeah, of be yeah, so that somebody would have to, so that somebody would have to strike like it. That, yeah, yeah. Um, this is a big collaborative game. Just to explain to, yeah, to yeah. listeners, this was a big collaborative game that we made when we were in college and we were running the um, pen and paper gaming like like student group, um, and uh, and one summer in the Facebook group, I think. We, we had, like, a thing, and it was just, like, we just kept adding, we just kept adding things to the world. It was, like, a big collaborative world-building exercise, and then we played a whole game in it. But, yeah, the, the, I do agree with you to a certain extent. That game was built to be insanely flexible so that you could play kind of whatever you wanted. Um, but I do think that is, at a certain point, it become that's, like, a, um, 
it's it's not a super fun exercise when it is when you can just kind of skin it however you want yeah um, like there is something to choosing a like making a mechanical choice in the system rather than just making it as like a, what is essentially a, a kind of untethered um aesthetic one right yeah when all weapons deal 1d10 damage and you can just say well my weapon is a sword or my weapon is a gun or my weapon is a halberd or whatever the the difference between a sword and a halberd doesn't really matter all that much yeah i actually think that there's like uh and kind of the general like there, there's like a, a big feeling difference between crunchier games and uh and, and fluffier games just in general and kind of that plays a lot into the atmosphere in, 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 I think a really interesting way, right? Like, I don't, I don't think you get like, you, you, it's harder to get like the, the, the satisfaction you get out of a successfully run combat in, in a fluffier game because you know, it, yeah. it, 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 it's also abstracted, but at the same time, um, necessarily the things you can do in that game are a little bit more constrained by the rules. Um, and they lead, they lead to much different experiences. Um, which which is which is a super, like, I think that's important for you know different different games appeal to different people. But it's interesting because I know like a lot of the a lot of the newer stuff I've been exposed to is a lot about streamlining and a lot about like kind of like moving away from the tactical space. Um, I think because those games are kind of like a little bit easier to to come up with because you don't have to think through all the math implications. Um, not to disparage anybody doing that, just that I, I think that's just the way that it shakes out realistically. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, I do like different kind of like non dice. You know, in, I I think because of the kind of like hegemony of dice based games, it just feels neutral, yeah, default and not interesting. But I'm always interested by like the other kinds of games. I really like cards, for instance. Um, like a lot of the time when I was in high school and college and building out custom games, I would build out card systems. Um, specifically because I like the interaction of counting cards. Um, so like the idea that I'm flipping a card and it, it remains revealed or you remember, boy, we got a bunch of tens, you know, in a row or something like that. And, um, and now we have to be a little bit wary because the deck is worse for us. You know, like that's an interesting way and you can't do that with dice. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a little bit like the Jenga thing to a certain extent, right? Um, and eventually, once you get to the very bottom of the deck, it's it's kind of like, have I been counting cards correctly, sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's also there's also like fudge dice and uh, and and the Genesis slash Star Wars dice, which are they're dice but they're different, right? Like, uh, yeah, the Star Wars the fudge dice all have two minuses, two blanks, and two pluses, and so their curve is much different. Um, and the uh, and like the Star Wars dice has like a bunch of weird fucking stuff on it. Um, I don't even remember what they all like. That's just, I think that system, like I play a little bit in it and it definitely succeeds in like feeling novel. Um, uh, I don't know if it succeeds in like actually staking out different territory. I think what it, I think what it does is, is um, I think it's bad in that it's hard to immediately see from looking at it, whether your role was generally good or generally not. Um, yeah. But I think it succeeds in that it, it makes it makes things feel more unpredictable, um, just because you. It, I feel like it's harder to get a a brain lock on kind of like the expectations because even if you know what the distribution on each dice is supposed to be, you don't really get a good brain feel for it. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, uh, 
So uh, the like, you know, there, there's aspects of, of, of this in, in, in everything. Um, hmm. Yeah. And, it, you know, because it's outside of the, of, of the mechanic, like the purely mechanical, I think this does bleed into, into video games as well. Um, but I think there's just like, because things have to be at some level absolute in video games, I think that it's a little bit harder to feel out. Also, I think that genres tend to, I think video games tend to stick to genre conventions a little bit more strictly than they do in tabletop games. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, right, like, uh, um, like the, it's kind of the the way that like even units move would move like in, like in RTS. I like I think actually, um, this kind of like mechanical atmosphere stuff, and it's also I think large part kinesthetics is a big part of why WoW does so much better than. Um, than any other MMO. Like, every MMO has been trying to unseat WoW since WoW came out. Um, right. And no one's been able to, to even come close. Like, maybe 14. Maybe Final Fantasy 14. Um, and Elder Scrolls Online has a foothold. But uh, I think a lot of that can be attributed to, the, to, like, because WoW has... WoW is a little bit... Like, all the graphics are kind of simpler. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, And kind of all the mechanics are a little bit looser in execution, right? Like, it's not super hard to like uh to to kind of execute to execute and it kind of all feeds into this cartoony looking world that it just feels more welcoming maybe Uh no i think that's a legitimate thing um i've talked about this in other situations like when like black desert came out or whatever um Black Desert has, like, that super, super realistic, in-depth character creator. Yeah. And that's very neat, and that's very cool and everything like that. But there's something, I think, to WoW coming out in 2004 um, and having that cartoony aesthetic. And kind of, over time, you know, having having to go with that aesthetic and that big polygon kind of... Um... Which honestly even came from Warcraft three, you know, like a lot of that a lot of that aesthetic comes from the fact that Warcraft three was like polygony and stuff like that, um, and so to a certain extent, if you are wow, um, I think you do get a boost from having a a, a cartoonier sort of like you know these these aren't very anatomically correct monsters they just look cool. Um, Versus something that looks more realistic, right? And even to a certain extent, I think 14 um, benefits from this in the sense that 14 kind of did the same thing, but instead of going for, like, the Lord of the Ring cartoons from the 70s, um, 14 went for anime. And it's yeah, kind and, of like an anime MMO. And, and not only anime, but for, but Final Fantasy as a series has a very well-defined aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, I think a lot of it is, like does come down to that. And and certain, you know, I also think that WoW's, um, that WoW has strong lore, which is what keeps it kind of like rooted in, uh, in like people's like minds. We've been dealing with these characters for a long time. People grew up playing Warcraft, Warcraft Two, Warcraft Three, right? And so like the story of Arthas is one that played out over the course of years, right? Um, I mean, Arthas. I think Arthas, the the Arthas raid came out in 2010. So the story of Arthas plays out over se- seven years, right? Which is something that is like kind of unheard of. When it comes to like video games, because if you think of each WoW expansion as like a kind of a sequel, it like, I mean, 
<laughs> like it's they went through f- five sequels before they actually got to a point where Arthas the character definitively died, right? And we are still to this day dealing with other characters who are coming out of Warcraft 3, right? Like Battle for Azeroth is all about Jaina Proudmoore who's a prominent character in Warcraft 3. Um and so I think that, you know, outside this is a little bit outside of the mechanical aesthetics sort of thing right but like part of it is that you know these are these are very long running stories that have a um that, that have just been playing out over you know decades right like deathwing is a character from warcraft 2 who died in 2012 um that's just that's insane to me uh that that that, that that's how they kind of approach things um but even inside of like from a mechanical from a mechanical uh, atmosphere kind of thing, I see people make these kinds of decisions in WoW all the time. I had a hard time playing a lot of different races because I didn't like animations of those races. Um, like for instance, I don't like the uh, the Worgen casting animation, and so I have never played a Worgen caster just because like I think it looks like that animation looks bad. Um, for when I'm casting my spells, but the animation for undead, I like a lot or for humans or for dwarves. I like a lot and I don't have a hard time playing, you know, a dwarf warlock or an undead mage or something kind of along those lines. Yeah, no, um, that makes sense. I also, I wonder how much like, you know, the fact that you kill bosses over and over and over again, um, both at the raid level and at the dungeon level, um, I wonder how like, that that kind of affects like kind of like how we view the characters in the world, especially like because some of them, you know, like how permanently dead people are or how permanently gone characters are. I think is a thing that's always kind of called into question. Um, you know, not that anybody thinks that Arthas is coming back, but like um, Illidan, right? Like Illidan, uh, yeah. uh, I, I like you know has been such a big force, and you know he he has come back a couple different times. Um, I wonder if, if, if that kind of thing is like, if, if, sorry, if the, if the fact that like the, the fact that you kill people a bunch of times, like that, that you continuously kill these big villains, um, in a way that is like permanent lore wise, but non-permanent kind of like through your mechanics affects how kind of like these things play out. I think it takes a lot off, a lot of the edge off of it keeps the game from feeling like super, Grim, along with the fact that, like, you know, the death animations aren't, like, exactly, like, gore-fests or yeah, anything. Yeah. Um, uh, definitely that leads to, like, a lighter-feeling world. But, like, uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if I've got anything more to say about it, but I definitely think... Well, I mean, even pack. just, like, the idea of getting ten of my friends together and we have to all work together to go kill, you know, whoever the raid boss is, Gahoon, right? Um... I think that's a mechanical atmosphere sort of thing, right? That this thing is insurmountable unless you bring a team. Right, yeah, of. no, that's absolutely true. Um, that's definitely good for, like, progression feel, right? Like, you know, yeah. you know, we had to have ten of us, but, you know, three years later, and, you know, one expansion later, I can do it by myself with, with, without a thought. Um, I feel like... Yeah, that's definitely true, yeah. And I feel like where that runs up against kind of, like, lore boundaries is interesting um because like i think there's definitely like a cool progression feel to that there's also kind of like uh 
you know, like a, a gamey feel to that, that, that kind of like pulls away the authenticity. Um, I actually think that this is, this is a, a big thing for Red Dead Redemption 2, um, to kind of shift gears off of WoW for a second, right? Like, um, ga- open world games generally have a lot of like ways to fast travel and ways to kind of like get around very quickly. Um, and I think that kind of like, like definitely disassociates you from the game and it has negative effect, like is a negative mechanical atmosphere effect, right? Like it, it pulls you out of the game. Whereas Red Dead Redemption, I, at least, I know there's a fast travel feature, but I haven't unlocked it. I've also heard it's very bad. Um, but, you know, uh, you can, uh, like, you have to ride around on your horse a lot and it's relatively slow and the game is relatively slow. Um, but I think that that definitely helps that game, that game feel more cinematic and more lived in. Um, and, and more breathing, uh, like, like it, it feels like the, the world's like kind of alive ish because it's a little bit closer to the real world. It's like not so stacked on top of each other that everything happens at once, and like, uh, uh, uh as opposed to something like, uh, I don't know, like uh, Skyrim, even right, like Skyrim with fast travel. Um, Another good example of this is Spider-Man, right? Spider-Man has fast travel, but you rarely end up ever using it because the web swinging is so fun. Um, uh, I think that, like, that definitely, because you swing so fast and, like, the game's kind of all about that, it definitely makes that game feel uh, feel a lot more like Spider-Man than, than any other game, right? Like, that's... I, I think... <laughs> oh, yeah, does it make you feel like Spider-Man Mango? <laughs> it, it, it does. Uh <laughs> I think, but I, I think that, like, I think Spider-Man's probably, like, the, you know, the, uh, what's it called, like, the the, the question kind of a, uh, in kind of a, a single point, just because Spider, like, Spider-Man as a property, right, in order to ever get that to really feel right, you would have to nail the web swinging, um, and that's just kind of, like, mechanical atmosphere in a, in, 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 a, in a moment, like, it also hits the kinesthetics aspect as well, um, yeah. But the game doesn't feel right. Like the game doesn't feel right unless you're swinging, swinging right, um, and that's super important to that particular character in that particular particular genre, right? Like Batman can get away with not having some of that stuff. His stuff is more kind of like, uh, like the thing, things that are important to him are like kind of like I think more less the mechanical atmospherics and more the uh, um, like the actual game atmosphere. Um, uh, but something like, uh, I, I don't know if I've got any other good examples, but, but I feel, I feel like certain games are going to naturally have uh, a desire for like a, a need for stronger mechanical atmospherics in order for them to work well. Does that make sense? Definitely. I, I definitely agree. And I think that it'll always be something that, um, I actually kind of think that good mechanical atmosphere is kind of the counterpoint and is sort of like the bandage that you use in order to protect yourself against ludonarrative dissonance, right? Oh, that makes sense, yeah. That is the opposite of what mechanical atmosphere is and does. If your mechanical atmosphere is bad, you have ludonarrative dissonance problems, and if it's good, you don't, I think. And it's kind of like a good ballpark um, for, like, how to think about... Um, you know, like, I, I think about this when I think about cer- certain games like um, like Bioshock Infinite, um, where the ludonarrative dissonance is kind of rough and tough because 
part of it is this like anti-war narrative um, and Booker is reconciling and kind of coming into conflict with his own, you know, his own role with the Pinkertons um, and stuff like that. But like the mechanics of that game is him just like killing the shit out of everybody. Um, and I also think it's a little more, I mean, I have, I have a lot of problems with Bioshock Infinite. I would like to do like a retro review. I should go back, play it and like, see if I, if, if my negative opinion kind of still holds up over time. Um, but like to, you know, to a certain extent, you might be able to kind of get past that if like the shooting is amazingly good or something along those lines. Like I, I kind of almost think it's almost like, it's almost like something that you can use to like cover the plot holes. Um, if the, you know, if like the mechanics are just like that great, you might just say, well, kind of, you know, who cares, right? It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. That's not, that's not a big deal. But when it start, but when like the, the, the sweater starts to come undone and you start pulling at threads all of a sudden, right? Like it kind of bottoms out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I, I think it's not just the mechanics are good. I think it's the mechanics are, are correctly atmospheric, right? Like you could yeah, have. Yeah, like an appropriate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I actually, I'm actually super interested in this kind of through like this Destiny, um, Warframe lens because I think that like Destiny definitely has better mechanics, but I'm not convinced that they're more atmospheric than the Warframe ones. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't know if either of them atmospherics on either of them are are super high. Um, so I don't know if this is the most relevant th- like it's this is the most relevant point, but uh. It, it, it seems intrinsically tied there in a way that, that, that makes sense to me, at least in my head. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and in a certain sense, I almost sort of wonder... Um, I'm trying to think of, like, some good examples where... Because part of it is just the mechanics themselves at a baseline. Like, maybe, maybe the, you know... Bioshock Infinite is just impossible to do well because of the just like the setup of the game. Like, how can you have a shooter that is like about? Uh, maybe if they went like the Spec Ops route, actually. Now that yeah, I'm thinking about the line it, where yeah. it's like, yeah, I mean, Spec Ops: The Line, one of the best games I feel like I've ever played in my life, um, is probably one of the best mechanically atmospheric games in the sense that it kind of like weaponizes the ludonarrative dissonance that became normal around like that kind of huge call of duty 2010 era right um against you right and makes you kind of like and makes you kind of like feel it in a very like visceral way um that's that's interesting that's yeah. really interesting like the idea that somebody's okay so here's this is like this is like mechanical atmosphere intersectionality right like between different games you have different games but it is pulling from these other genres in order to inform the game itself i like i don't think spec ops the line works as well if you aren't well like really familiar with like third person first person war shooters um Mm, yeah i feel that yeah warfare you know, and so to a certain extent, the mechanical atmosphere of Spec Ops: The Line is contingent on the mechanical atmosphere of Call of Duty: Modern Warfare, right? Right. Uh, which is a really boy. I don't even know where to begin with that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's like that is super interesting. 
And I wonder just to kind of bring it back to tabletop games if like like you know like kind of like D&D is kind of like the unshakable monolith and you know Pathfinder is you know in in kind of that space. Um I wonder if like that kind of informs the way we feel about kind of all the other games that inhabit that space, right? Like if if like how how games feel in relation to D&D is kind of our our, our baseline. Um mm-hmm. video games I think don't ha- necessarily have that uh that that's like that same kind of uh, baseline, right? Like, um, you know, I guess maybe you could talk about like how jumping feels in games as compared to Mario, but I don't think it's it's as it's uh, as universal. Huh. That, that, that is uh, how how mechanical atmospheres play with other uh, other well known titles. Huh. Like to a certain extent, I think all of them do in a way. Um, like even Warcraft, you know, plays with the mechanical atmosphere of. Warhammer and you know Tolkien and stuff just by using orcs and elves and everything like that, um, and and and, and it, but like at, at a certain point something crosses over from kind of being like we would I, like I might call self sufficient um, to being sort of um, contingent where. You know, the success or failure of the game is determined by... The success or failure of the game is determined by the audience's, you know, cultural predisposition, right? right. And to a certain extent, other other there are other mechanical atmospheres that are also relevant to this. Um, for instance, I might say that something like, you know, Europa Universalis is... Oh, actually, okay, here's a better example. A game like Settlers of Catan wants you to know board game mechanics from something like Sorry or Monopoly, right? Because it's kind of... Settlers of Catan might be a little too easy. But I'm just trying to think of, like, any of the big advanced board games that we have right now are kind of building off of the board game knowledge that you have intrinsically in you from when you used to play, you know... Sorry, or Monopoly, yeah, the Milton or whatever, games. as a, yeah, as a yeah. kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All like all of the Milton Bradley games from when you were a kid, sort of thing. It can kind of take those things for granted, almost. Um, and I feel like if you were to show somebody that game, they might have a tough time sort of figuring it out and getting into it, right? Because like games get these games get kind of like more advanced and complex over time. Um, <laughs> Buddy, actually, I think you... that's not a great. I don't know how much I agree with my own point. How do you, how do you, how do you know what a board game is, buddy? If the box doesn't tell you what it is, get back in this dumb meme that I came up with at Gen Con about the <laughs> <laughs> every RPG book explaining to you what an RPG is. Um, yeah, no, I remember. I mean, I, I, def- I definitely think this is this is tied into that at a point, right? Like, you no, know, the validity of that argument aside, because I'm not particularly interested in getting into that now. Like, I, I think that is kind of tied into what you're talking about. Um, uh, you know how mu- how much how much of the mechanical mechanical atmosphere is built into your consumer? Um, how much how much do you expect them to like know what you're talking about at, at the beginning at some level? Um, how much is subverting that is subverting that like a mechanic like a mechanically atmospheric choice? Because um, that's definitely like th- you're definitely right spot on with with spec ops line right like the choices made there were yeah. definitely to subvert your pre-built expectations that only exist if you know, if you, you know, you have a piece of that cultural moment. Um, I actually wonder if that, that, you know, kind of tangentially, if that affects its, uh, 
uh, kind of longevity as, 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 as a classic, right? Like, um, I feel like obviously it's not mechanical, but you get some of these questions uh, about like uh, older pieces of film or television that are playing off of uh, cultural moments that, you know, you don't necessarily get if you weren't there. Um, you know, like the, the easy version of this is like people who see like, uh, like, uh, like, like a, a, a thing like in, I don't know, like a, a dance on like, like that, like a Fortnite dance is taken from me. Like, oh, that's the Fortnite dance or whatever. Um, right. It's like, oh, fucking kids or whatever. But like, you know, that, you know, part of that requires knowledge, like, like, ref like all referential humor and whatever requires knowledge of the, uh, of the uh, kind of the original event. Um, hmm. I don't know. I feel like that's just a piece. I feel like it's a little bit tangential. Tangential. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, the so I don't think my board game argument is very good because I actually think if you follow it to its completion, everything is like this, right? Um, for instance, I like I've talked about this with film before, but like we are better understanders of film now than we were forty years ago, right? Um, and so, for instance, we have it built into us as kids what a shot reverse shot looks like, right? And that you can cut between two things, and that is. You know, like, those edits are just completely seamless, right? But in the 20s or whatever, when when a lot of this kind of film grammar was first being um, built from the ground up, they didn't have that kind of understanding. Um, and even, you know, even in, like, the apocryphal stories of, you know, the train is coming at the screen and everybody freaks out because they think it's real, sort of. Like, that's kind of, you know, we have grown up with the medium of uh, cinema long enough to understand th some of these pieces of its grammar. And to a certain extent, I think that's really what, like, the board game stuff, um, or even, like, the what is an RPG, you know, section at the front of every RPG book stuff um, kind of, like, comes down to. And that is a fundamentally different thing than Spec Ops saying, n like, no, this is kind of... This is the dominant game in the culture right now, and we are specifically talking about that, right? Which is much more rooted in specificity of time and a lot less in the medium, right? Which is to say that, like, you know, that it, Spec Ops Align could have been, you know, a, a if collectible card games were the dominant game of the time, Spec Ops Align would need would would need to be making fun of and deconstructing card games in order to work and there's a big difference there's like a gulf between those two because one of them is commenting essentially on the, a genre trend inside of the culture and the other one is commenting on the the uh like the basic building blocks of yeah. the medium itself yeah no I, I i feel that i do feel that um hmm well, we got a little bit away from from kind of the original topic, but I think that's okay. Um, yeah. Did you have any last thoughts, final thoughts on uh, on? Uh... I think that the, I think that this is a really important thing. Um, I think that it's uh, you know it reminds me a lot of kind of like the way that lighting in origin in like the original um, kind of like era of film was thought of as a theater thing essentially and it was just kind of like you just light the whole fucking thing so that everybody sort of sees it and it was only sort of like over time did film understand that no we don't have to light every scene 
and we don't have to stage every scene like it's being played in front of a theater. Um, and I sort of feel like that is kind of what this conversation is in a way and what understanding, you know, like what a mechanical atmosphere comes down to, because that's something that's unique to games. Um, and it's something that as we understand the medium of games better and better and better, we start to find what is intrinsic to them and how to, you know, in, in order to stop ourselves from making, you know, movies through game engines or whatever, we need to kind of like figure this shit out, um, which is why I think it's so important. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I, th I think that from the tabletop perspective, right, like in order to make games that resonate emotionally more, we, 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 we need to kind of like figure this stuff out because I do think that D&D &D has that kind of most resonance just kind of like taking a like I think like looking backwards and applying these principles to things that were kind of stumbled upon are important to are, are important exercises to do right because like um, this came up in the original lecture that I watched uh, uh, that uh, that you know like generic systems are necessarily going to have less strong mechanical atmospheres because you can't do too much to tie it to, to a specific um uh, to tie it to a specific uh uh a genre because otherwise you lose you, you lose the, the the generality that you're building with a generic system um yeah and i think that part of realizing that is realizing that D, &D kind of by accident stumbled into a, a a field that was well suited for kind of like high fantasy noble brightness um it works for other certain other things that are closely related like you know like space i think like space operatics uh, work well for it like you know like but i think heart sci-fi maybe doesn't work as well with it and i don't think horror works yeah. well with it um and recognizing that is the first step in kind of building out the correct systems to handle those kinds of uh ha handle those kinds of uh, uh games in a, in a way that like gets you a better experience out of them yeah 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 um but yeah i think those are the final thoughts on that uh, how was your week? My week. What did I do this week? Um, uh, I guess I didn't do... Oh, man, I actually felt like I had so much shit to talk about. But I can't remember any of it. Oh, okay. This is a thing. I've been watching Steven Universe again. Oh, okay. Are you... Uh, when did you stop watching Steven Universe? Uh, right around episode... I think it was like... Whenever... Whenever... Uh, uh, like there's like that weird episode where uh, like uh, Pearl deceives uh, whoever it was into into merging, right? Like that whole that whole thing that was like a that I took as like a rape allegory. Uh, we talked about I it at don't the time. Remember. Um, but I it was I, yeah. <laughs> I actually have no idea. I finished the first season again. Okay. So I was like, I haven't watched Steven Universe in a while. I think this is like really the remember. second season. Yeah, I don't remember where I got. Um, <laughs> I actually don't remember where I got where I stopped watching it because um, I like to watch things in like in big sum totals typically right. um, and so the and so I you know I was like I should watch something and I saw Steven Universe was on Hulu so I was like oh let me like fucking watch Steven Universe again and boy that first season is killer specifically the ending the ending of the first season is just like What's the ending I, of the first all, season again? Spoilers for Steven Universe, by the way. This is, spo this is spoilers for the first season of Steven Universe. It, the The ending of the first season 
Lapis, uh, Peridot, and Jasper all come to Earth, and Garnet gets revealed as a fusion and fights Jasper um, and sings that song. And then the very end has um, Jasper fusing with Lapis, but it's a trick, and Lapis pulls Jasper into the ocean. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. I do remember that. That was a good episode. So, like, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good show. I don't know. It might not be anymore, but I haven't, because I, I haven't watched it in a while. But it was definitely good back then. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. What what, what turned you on to Steven Universe? Um, it might have been, might have been our friend Josh. Um, it might have been, like, I saw, like, an episode randomly and was like, this is fun. I was a fan of Adventure Time for a long time, and I, you know, that ended recently. And I never went and finished that, but like, um, kind of had those same vibes. Um, I don't know. I think I just watched an episode. and I thought it was a lot of fun. I just went back and watched all of it at the time. Um, that is generally my my problem with with TV shows is like if I watch if it's ongoing and I watch all of it and I catch up with it and it's not like you know I, I will fall off of it if the next yeah season that happens comes to me yeah. That happens to me pretty hardcore. Um, and it also kind of sucks because... <laughs> it also kind of sucks because there are some shows that I really want to watch episodically because I think the episodic nature of them makes them better. For instance, Game of Thrones is coming out, you know, like six months from now or whatever, the final season of Game of Thrones. I'm going to watch that episodically because, like, I like the water cooler aspect of that right. to a certain extent. Um, but it kind of, like, clashes with this. Um, so, like, when I'm watching Game of Thrones or Westworld or, boy, it's kind of just, like, just those two, I feel like. Um, I, I, you know, like, I really want to just, like, binge them. Oh, I gotta uh, start watching that, don't I? Because we're gonna do Game episode. of Thrones? Yeah. We're oh, gonna... yeah, yeah, we said we were gonna do a big, a big, giant Game of Thrones thing. I forgot about that. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think they announced the, the, the date it comes out is... Like, April 19th, so literally, like, six if months from now. One day before 420. We might, we might, we might, how many seasons are there? Seven seasons? Eight seasons? Six seasons uh, in a movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> I kind of almost want to go season by season. There's, like, a lot, there's a lot to talk about, and I love Game of Thrones, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean. I, I think the, the deal we made where, like, I just have to watch the show is, is right because I was like, I have to read all the books. And you're like, why don't you not do that? And I'm like, that, that's probably a the good book, idea. You, listen, the books are great, and I and I would highly recommend the books. I've read all of the books, um, and uh, and, and they're, they're really strong. They're really good, but uh, but you don't have to. I actually sort of I – re, I watched the show first, and then I read the books. Okay. Um, and I sort of liked that interaction. Um, I actually, to, to give you a super spicy hot take, I think the first two seasons of Game of Thrones, which are the best, um, like season two is honestly like really amazing, are better than the first two books, um, just because of a couple small things, and we can get into that, you know, we can get into that when we have like an actual uh, discussion. discussion about yeah. things, but... Um, um, yeah, but I am not a big fan of kind of like the TV book di like divide um, because I think their their kind of quality is uh, transient just based on a, like I, I, I forgive Game of Thrones for being unable to capture certain aspects of the book and I forgive the book for being unable to capture certain aspects of Game of Thrones um, in sort of like an adaptational way. Right. 
Yeah. Um, you know, that's why, uh, that's why animes that get ahead of their manga are always supposed to be worse, um, or almost always worse. Uh, because you have to fill it with filler and wait for somebody to fucking write something. Um, yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones kind of did the opposite of that, uh, because they, you could, well, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, my I, point is, I wonder is, if we'll get a Game of Thrones Brotherhood, um, which is if you if you aren't familiar at home, uh, Full Metal Alchemist had a series done while the while the manga was being written, and it got ahead of the manga and just divergent its own thing, which was considered to be and that's de- Brotherhood. No, no, that's the regular one. Um, okay, and that was considered to be decent. And then after it was all finished, they went back and redid the whole thing, um, following the manga, and that's Brotherhood. Oh, uh, interesting. That is actually very interesting. Yeah, so if George Railroad Martin ever gets around to, like, writing the, the other books before he dies, you could theoretically go back and, like, make Game of Thrones Brotherhood. Honestly, uh, I would be really interested to see that. Uh, yeah. There are definitely going to be Game of Thrones. I think it's a prequel series, um, which all of us... Boy, do I want to watch the shit out of a Game of Thrones prequel series. Oh, the prequels, um, huh? I mean, those always go great for (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually i'm pretty over rather than under i guess on prequels because i like both the hobbit and the star wars prequels which i feel like are the two big prequel failures in like the 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 popular conscious yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, maybe i don't know the fantastic beasts came out this week and it's apparently like a garbo so maybe that's going to enter the the lexicon as another garbage yeah well that's uh, because all of harry potter is garbage hot take (laughs) hot take (laughs) Didn't you read all of Harry Potter just to be bitter, just to be a bitter old man about it? I read all of Harry Potter except for the last one to prove I didn't okay. care. Yeah, that's that's me. Um, <laughs> I was the, I was a bitter old man when I was in middle I, school. I, I honestly used to be that exact same person. There was actually uh, I, there was a colleague of mine in uh, in college who's like a huge Harry Potter fan, and I was just like relentlessly shit all over Harry Potter, um, and I honestly kind of feel bad about it now. You know what? <laughs> I think we could do an episode at some point that's a breakdown of why Quidditch is a terrible fucking game. Although it's... <laughs> like... Okay, that's fair. Like, the game mechanics, you mean? The game mechanics of Quidditch... Like, I mean, I don't know if we'd be able to fill a full hour with it, but they're just like... Like, in, in universe lore, most of the game doesn't matter. The only two, like, important matches that weren't decided by the snitch... There's rather there's only been two matches in the entire two important matches in the entire history of the sport that haven't been decided decided by the snitch. Right. Like, what the, what the fuck is the, 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 there's there's everybody literally everybody's just doing busy work except for the seeker. Yeah. And you know, twice it mattered otherwise, and that's like in the entire history of this. That's our. Yeah. That's our. That's our. That's our episode on why Quidditch is bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've also, I've also got like hot takes as to like why like. Muggle Quidditch is bad, um, uh, but that's because. What what does is there a difference with? I, you, yes, funnily enough, the, I actually the, the difference is is people can't fly in the real world. Buddy. At, at, so at our college, we had a Quidditch club, I have, I have and I was roommates for a year um, with the uh, with the founder of that club, uh, and I never played Quidditch. Yeah, so to I, be honest with you, I I almost kind of wonder how much of this is just like fun policing. You know, like if people just want to like oh no no I mean but you you can you can say that like you know you can have fun I'm not gonna shit on anybody's fun but like 
it's still a poorly designed game. Um, <laughs> From like a game design yeah. perspective, it's, yeah, it's badly, yeah. it's badly made. Yeah, Calvin Ball is fun. That doesn't mean it's a good game. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, like my my favorite story from that is uh, you you, uh, you might have known him. Uh, David Wyden was uh, I think he was an RA at one point. He was another computer science major, and he played football in high school. And he had to quit Quidditch because it was too rough. Uh, really? Uh, yeah. Like so. Um, apparently the bludgers or the, the, the beaters or whatever aren't actually like the toughest position to play um, because they're just throwing like deflated kickballs at people. But yeah. the, uh, what is it? The, 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 the normal people, the, the ones that like, chasers? Pat, yeah, uh, not, not the, the ones that throw the, uh, the, the quaffles around or whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah. Chasers. Yeah. Um, apparently like the game's like pretty full contact but no one wears any safety gear and they're also running around with a fucking broom between their legs um and like he was like yeah you get a bunch of nerds that like don't know how to like hit people and just like spear you right in the chest um he's like i can't do this anymore i'm going to end up hurt and i don't want I, you know I, I i i like my lungs thank you very much um i don't know i feel like I feel so. My my biggest problem with Muggle Quidditch was always that I felt like you could sit down and capture the spirit of the game in a way that was like mechanically mechanically sound. You know, with the first part being you don't have to fucking straddle a goddamn broomstick while you're running around a field. Um, and I always just I was always just a little mad that like no one ever took like they they did the, the smart thing. They made the the fucking snitch not worth like not decide every game. Um, they they in Muggle, Muggle Quidditch the the the, the snitch is only worth thirty points. Um, instead of a hundred, oh. 150 actually. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, it's 150 <laughs> points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's even fucking worse. Uh, um, and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I thought that like the snitch mechanics were, were kind of neat, right? Like that you get like some, some neutral third party to like, I, one of the, the, the guy who played the snitch at Hopkins was uh, another computer science major. Um, and I thought that was a neat way to do it. You have a person just running around evading the, the two, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the two seekers or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I have to say that I think the Harry Potter movies themselves are pretty great and neat. And maybe not great. They're neat. They're interesting. Um, I really think it's cool how they kind of grew up and matured over time. Those movies. Yeah. Yeah. Because the first two ones are, are basically kids movies, you know, like. They're super PG, um, and they're, like, they got all these, like, PG, you know, kind of antics. And then by the end, it's basically, like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like, any of the, of the like, super serious, you know, like, Marvel movies or something along those lines. And I like the way, um, and I think it's very cool how, over time, those movies kind of grew up with the characters and with, like, the audience. The audience yeah, I think that's um, part of why they're so resonant. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely, definitely. And even I mean even the books themselves did this. I yeah. mean the first two books are um also very kitty compared to um the last like three or four books. Man, like like book five is just like angsty teenagers, the book. Hmm. Um <laughs> Yeah. And that, that I you know, I even though I think I, I'm not a fan, I will I will recognize that that's kind of a, a, a cool feat. Um, yeah. Uh it made JK really rallying like richest fucking balls uh yeah she's like a billionaire right yeah something like that 
I don't know. Don't remind me. Uh, anyway, those were Harry, those were Harry Potter po- hot takes. What actually, else did you do actually, this week? So, so this is an interesting thing that I've actually been watching videos about recently. So J.K. Rowling has this has an active Twitter presence, and part of her active Twitter presence is about like something that she does is like goes back and kind of canonizes things. The, the best example of this is the Dumbledore is gay thing, where like two years after the final book came out or a year after the final book came out or whatever, she has like a press conference to be like, and by the way, you never saw it in the book, but Dumbledore was gay. <laughs> like, And uh, and there's a certain, there's like a, a, a small industry of YouTube videos that talk about her own sort of revisionism over like the last 10 years um, like a big reveal that apparently came out in the Fantastic Beasts movies, which um, she wrote. She wrote the screenplay for the Fantastic Beasts uh, movie. Is that Voldemort's snake Nagini is secretly a Korean woman this whole time, um, and and just like and and so you know stuff like that where she like kind of goes back. Um, and comments on the books that have already been written that have been out for 10 years and kind of like says, well, this all happened off screen, but actually secretly the, you know, this whole part of my original vision. Yeah. You know, like that kind of thing. And to a certain extent, I don't know where I feel about it because like I am on team. Deckard is a Deckard is a replicant, which is the exact same phenomenon, right? Ridley Scott puts out an interview in the nineties about a movie he made in 1982 that said, I shot that whole thing assuming that Deckard was a replicant. Um, and I think the movie's more interesting if Deckard is a replicant and, and, and everything like that. But, like, you know, I think it's kind of dumb and queer baity that J.K. Rowling is like, oh, and by the way, off screen, Dumbledore, boy, does he like dicks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what, the, what the fuck? Come on. Like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, it's 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 a mixed bag right like the things that like annoy me most are like the things that she like they're like less definitive statements and you know like the the, the one that like came out was like like she said like something that like it never says anywhere that Hermione's not black or something right like yeah right right and then right, like yeah. you know people posting pa- passages about how like she's pale skinned or whatever it's like and you know even if there wasn't any passage saying it it's like I think it's pretty clear from the descriptions that she's white, and I don't, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, why, right? Like, you know, you're you're allowed to write a book that's about in, like typical English children, and you can go mm-hmm. write something else that's like has these other aspects in it. I don't think you need to go change your existing work to just like, I don't know, fit better with kind of I, like I the also modern actually, lens. I, so I really hate that from a from a perspective of. The correct answer is, I don't care in this adaptation she's black because there should be a black character in the main cast or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I think that you just... It, it, it's so dumb to me to say, oh, well, secretly she, she was always... I never said what race yeah. she was. And you're, the, you yeah. know, like, you all assumed she was white or whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, sure, we did, obviously. <clears throat> but, like, if you want to change the race of a character to be more inclusive or to or to have better representation or something along those lines. I feel like you should just own it, right? Like, when they did that with the Fantastic Four movie, which, by the way, was god-awful, obviously, it's like, yeah, 
Johnny Storm is being played by Michael B. Jordan. He's a great actor. Johnny Storm can be black. Who cares? Get over it. You know what I mean? Like, why do you have to pretend? Like, I, I think yeah. the that's very dumb. Yeah. No. I. I so I, I will agree with you that like you can you can own it and say that like you know, you know, in this adaptation I'm changing things up a bit. Um, I mean. I will say that I have a sympathy for someone who says that, like, I liked my favorite character the way that they were, and you changing it, like, makes me enjoy the thing less. I mean, obviously, I don't hold truck with anybody who's like, and because of that, I'm going to call you a whore on Twitter. Um, but I, I definitely can understand kind of like the, you know, the, I, you know, I, I, I understand the feeling that's like, why do I have to give up my favorite thing for somebody else? And, you know, I, I think there's there's a variety of arguments on, on both sides. But I, I definitely, I, I kind of understand at least the impulse, um, if I'm not necessarily a, the biggest fan. You know, like, if even if it, if on balance, maybe it's 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 an all right thing. Um, I don't know. I also don't... Yeah, I mean, like, like, that, that whole conversation, I, I think, is... A, there are there are ups and downs. I mean, like, yeah. the, the kind of reverse of this is, like, whitewashing stuff. Right. right. Where you know, um, what's a good example of this? Ghost the in the Shell. Oh, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Ex- oh my God, Ghost in the Shell. Right. Like, holy shit. Right. Um, I think it is. Uh, I I feel like you you can't dance around like the representative aspect to it. And I also think that you shouldn't dance around kind of an adaptation version of it. I don't like people pretending that all versions of a work are definitive right. in a way. Yeah, um, yeah like I feel that. My, my, this is in a way actually kind of a problem with Batman versus Superman, I think for people where people say that's not Superman or that's not Batman. And it's like, I think that's a pretty valid Batman in the same way that I think Lego Batman is a valid Batman or, you know, Christopher Nolan Batman is a valid Batman or Tim Burton Batman is a valid Batman, right? Like these are all, these are all, they, they don't, they're not mutually exclusive, right? Right. And in the same sense, if you read the books and you're a little white girl and Hermione being a little white girl is important to you, I don't see why Hermione being cast by a, as a black actress in a theater production that you're probably never going to see right sure um is it like would would diminish or take away from that but i don't know this might be one of those things where i don't i like i am weird and the culture is the culture um you know i i i, def- I definitely see your, see your point um i also think that there's kind of like i i, I think there's there, there are shades of it too i don't think like i don't think you can you can say anything def- definitively for um any like for anything else right like i feel like if in the in the fourth movie for for uh uh for uh, for, uh the Harry Potter movies if they like fired Emma Watson and replaced her with like Raven Simone like oh my god like <laughs> could you I, imagine <laughs> yeah, like you know like I think I think that's you know that, that's obviously a ridiculous example but that that's the point right like it's 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 on the that's on the end of the spectrum where like yeah you know that's probably not. You know, it's probably crazy um, versus, like you said, like, you know, a, a different medium and a different uh, uh, and in, in, in a very different adaptation. It can change. Um, um, I am. So I, I think I think the other side of this, too, is like I am sympathetic to the argument that it is better to make an original character. 
um, of that. I don't think that invalidates the position that you could also do it differently in an adaptation. I just think on balance, it's probably like there's no reason you can't have like a different wizard at a different time in a different thing that 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 that, that is also representative. I think I think just kind of on balance like that that creates another character that is in the space that you don't have to like worry about from either end, like washing out how people feel about it. Right. Cause like, you know, you have, you have the stage play adaptation, Hermione, and you have the movie Hermione. And then let's say you, you have like some third version, right? Like, uh, uh, what would, what would be another medium? Uh, so I'm not a huge fan of this, but I understand what you're getting at. Um, typically because I think that's kind of, this is going to make me sound really judgmental. I don't mean to be like, yeah, sure. or anything. Right. Um, but it kind of sounds like separate, but equal to me. Oh, um, but I, 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 which is, which is like the, I, and I get it, but I, I'm more partial to the version of things where it's like, I don't know. Maybe this is just like a comic book thing to a certain extent, but it's like, clearly there are. Um, you can elevate people into and out of certain, like, main cast sort of standpoints. And so, oh my god, Ron dies and he gets replaced with fucking Seamus, who I think is black in the movies. Um, he's pop, he's the pop-pop guy from, uh, <laughs> from Community, no, okay. actually. <laughs> um, and it's like, so maybe, like, that kind of a thing makes a certain amount of sense to me. This is actually kind of the argument uh, that you would use around Captain America being Sam Wilson. That, right. the, that Falcon becomes the new Captain America. Right, right. right. Um, like, he's a well-established character in the story. He's friends with Steve Rogers. He's been friends with Steve Rogers for fucking forever. And, the, know, and so. the title is transferable. Yeah, and the yeah. title is kind of, you know, like, the title is transferable. Um, yeah. No, I, I I think my point is not that, like, you know, that, that like, they need, they need to be separated because of some, I don't know, like, just, just that, like, Let's let's say like there's a Harry Potter cartoon that they decide to spin up. That's like Harry Potter the later years or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which Hermione do you use, and who are you betraying by choosing one or the other? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I think that's just kind of like a set of problems that I think like are are just easier to and maybe maybe it being easy to address isn't a valid metric. Um, but I think that that's just kind of a, th- a thing to think about, right? Like, um, mm. uh, you know, like I, like I, I'm not against like, uh, you know, like the characters of, of diverse backgrounds being included. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's a tough thing to deal with, right? In the in the modern yeah, age, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, I, I also think I, I'm sympathetic to arguments about kind of like like quote-unquote like the um uh like ghettoizing these like certain of these characters or whatever in the sense of like if you create a if you create a black character and then say oh by the way this is eric the black wizard who's been our best friend all of the time or whatever that just kind of feels like tokenism to a certain extent um but if and uh i mean the other the other part of that too is that if you if you make him too like stereotypical then that's also bad on on the kind of the other end of that spectrum right yeah 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 um, it's tough man it's really tough to get to the to get to the bottom of it but the point is jk rowling did it wrong yeah (laughs) (laughs) fucked it up (laughs) because she queer baited everybody with with uh dumbledore dumbledore just to define that term because i learned it for this thing in this set of things it's when like shows that which i i have 
learned through YouTube is apparently a very common practice where shows like give you hints that like there could be oh some kind of queer relationship between these two characters or something like that but it's always just like hints and like very subtle like subtext because they don't want to like scare off i guess like i don't know like christian moms or something like that um apparently it's super bad in the show uh supernatural do you know that show i'm not super familiar with it no it's it's about like two two dudes fighting like the underworld or something like that but apparently they make all these references all the time in the show to things that like if you extrapolate out from them express a like a kind of like at least a desire for a queer relationship between them like you know they talk about making like going moving to vermont and starting a bed and breakfast together or whatever um and this is when like vermont was the only was the only nation or was the only state in the u.s that legalized gay marriage yeah and so people could like read into it or whatever but like the show never goes there kind of thing and it's all there i guess for just like fan fiction or stuff like that um yeah i, I also think that like there's there's another side of that coin which is like fan people who want things too bad like yeah yeah no definitely like, demanding it's like Oh, he looked at him, and it's like, yes, they made eye contact, right? Like, you know, and, and yeah, it's you know, it's funny. I am simultaneously a huge fan of the idea, like the 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 idea of Frodo and Sam being like romantically attracted to one another or whatever. And I also think it's that's that's abhorrent. Sam loves Rosie, and he wants to go back to the Shire. Yeah, right? like <laughs> I mean, I mean, if if I want to put on my serious hat for a second, right, like. I also think it kind of devalues like real relationships between between uh, between guys um, yeah, no, by definitely. suggesting that they must be inherently romantic, right? That like... I absolutely agree with that because I think that's actually a that's like a problem in a way that there's a certain amount of like no homoing you have to do um, <laughs> when it <laughs> you know, it's true it's what it is right <laughs> like you have to do when it comes to like guys who just like have a good bromance yeah um, i'm just imagining and, you know, fucking JD like frodo like like or like sam carrying frodo up mount doom and sam being just like no homo the entire time. <laughs> 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 yeah but yeah because like you know i don't think um if somebody wants to write fanfic about jd and turk from scrubs you know, secretly having like a gay love affair—that's that's fine, obviously. But I think that's probably one of like the purest, like the purest expression of like a true bromance, yeah, yeah. you know, on screen, or like Abed and Troy um, from Community, or something kind of along those lines. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> absolutely, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how we got on all of this? It's because we decided. To poke the harry potter bear yeah uh so harry potter fans i hope you have a fun time unsubscribing <laughs> yeah. um, we don't want you anyway <laughs> yeah, just smash that unsubscribe button i'm so sorry um uh, <laughs> i didn't do a lot this week the only thing i would bring up is that uh i started reading actually reading the apocalypse world book which is a really fun read um if you can get your hands on a copy of it somehow i'd recommend it um uh and it's got some really interesting jamming advice uh I think at some point in the in the future, maybe in a couple of months, we should talk about it because uh, I think it's neat. Even though I've never played it, um, I think I think the, the what it talks about is really cool. Um, and the only other thing to shout out is uh, I've become addicted to TikTok, which is like 
the the world's shittiest meme generator. It's like Vine, but like worse. Um, and they're all like musical memes, and it's got this really dumb duet feature. I mean, it's a really great duet feature actually. Um, where like somebody posts a video and you hit duet, and then you record your video, and it's like next to that video when it comes up. And so you'll have like somebody who like puts their hand off screen, and like the other person will, like you know like mime that hand coming into their side of the video. Um, or, like, you'll have, like, these, like, chain memes, because you can duet a duet. Um, and it has this weird, like, shrinking effect, but it's still, it's still really, it's, like, people will, like, pass, like, uh, this is the weirdest fucking memes, like, uh, like, the Gamer Furry War is apparently a big thing on TikTok, which I thought, I didn't even know was still, like, a thing. But, like, there's this one video of this, uh, furry dancing in their fursuit, um, and they jump out of frame as if to jump into the next video. That's, like, a common thing to do. Um, but the one that took off was like and then like a teddy bear goes in and like the guy catches the teddy bear just like starts stomping on it on the ground and, like kicks it into the next frame there's people beating up this like <laughs> these like these, <laughs> these animals because fuck i really i don't understand where this gamer furry war came from um, i've been also watching plenty of youtube videos all about that uh so it's always kind of been a thing right that like furries get shit on and i don't know why it's taken off on tiktok tiktok is like prime irony memes right like Half of, like, the, like, uh, there's, like, a, like, a ton of memes that are, like, uh, girls telling themselves to go back into the kitchen in an ironic way. It's just, it's, it's, I, I don't quite understand. I, I feel old. <laughs> I don't understand the kids. Um, but it's, um, No, I feel that about deep fried memes. Yeah. And, I, like, I was like, oh, deep fried memes, this sounds funny. And then I just keep looking at them like, wait, what? Yes. What, 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 what? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> e? E. Yeah. That's fine. E. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, yeah. That and this, the fucking, there's this fucking Tracer song that, like, so it's, it's, it's a girl that's, you know, like, uh, I want to be Tracer. I'm already Tracer. Just keep going back and forth. And this girl, like, the song isn't important. It's annoying, but like it's a person going through all like the Overwatch characters and like not letting the the other person play them. But the video, like, I don't know why this is a su supremely common video, which is just like somebody mouthing the lyrics along. They're very boring, but it's this girl wearing like a headset and like mashing a controller, and so the meme very quickly became like making fun of her directly. Um, so like, like the the first one was like someone like she's wearing headphones and she's mashing a controller. This dude like taped two controllers to the side of his head and like started like rubbing his fingers on his headset along with as well. And then the next person like, uh, like put like a keyboard up there, like sweatshirts with their face and like put headphones on it. And then it's like, 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 uh, I think like started rubbing another pair of headphones. And then like, eventually you get to the point where it's like, there's a dude in a blue power ranger suit with a toaster oven on his lap adjusting the dials and pulling a frozen pizza out of it. And it's just like, like it's just, just glorious mimetic mutation that you can see all at once. It's, it's amazing and it's terrible and it's cancer, but I love it so much that I can't stop watching it. Uh, it's just like an endless stream of like bad memes. <laughs> I have heard this tracer. Now that you've, now you've explained the song, I have heard this tracer meme before. Yeah. Um, I, I also don't understand it. Like I, I, I guess I get it. I don't really get it. Yeah. I guess I, I, I get kind of why hypothetically maybe that's funny in a in an intellectual sense. Yeah. Otherwise, I just kind of sit and I watch and I. Yeah, it's 
the, the interesting part is it's all like mimetic mutation stacked on top of a mimetic mutation. At some yeah. point, you just absorb enough of it that it's funny, not because it was ever originally funny, but because what the person has done to 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 mutate on it is is a funny enough departure, right? Like, uh, like, um, the uh, the the, the, the I want to be Tracer version is like it, they go through a bunch of different characters, but then there's a version where like the response is always, I want to be Winston. Um, and it just repeats, I want to be Winston over and over again. And so like, that's funny because it's a departure from like, like the, the original, but it's not funny on like its own footing. It's, it's, it's memes are weird. I don't know. Kind of feel like I, I want to, like, I, 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 I want to do like deep research on memes. Come a memeologist. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was my week. I was, I was busy otherwise. So I was watching memes on TikTok. Highly recommend. Fair enough. Good week, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, no, no. <laughs> if you'd like, I just I just learned that Big Mouth got renewed for season three at Netflix. I'm very happy. Big Mouth is the animated show from Nick hey, Roll. I just found I just found out for the rest of my mm, life. <laughs> I just found out that uh, fucking Neo Yokio is getting at least a Christmas special and maybe a whole second season on December seventh. So I'm oh fucking hype. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch Neo Yokio. Yeah, you told me to um, watch it. I never got around to it. If uh, if December seventh is a full second season, maybe we should do a, a, a show around then about it. Okay, um, that's fine. Uh, but uh, wait, are we? Shouldn't we be getting Stranger Things? Doesn't Stranger Things typically come out right around now? Uh, it should have already happened. I guess I don't know. Why uh, did Stranger? I think Stranger Things season one was in Halloween, but yeah, Stranger Things. I haven't watched uh, season two. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, this is like when did that come out? Last year, sometime. This is like oh my hard... god, it came out. Yeah, it came out on October twenty seventh of last year. So yeah, where's Stranger Things season three? Uh, but we are getting a, a, a what is it called? A True Detective season three, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Mar- Mahershala Ali, my boy. I don't know who from, that is. Uh, he's the he's the guy. He he won Best Supporting Actor for Moonlight. He's the oh, okay. he's Juan from Moonlight. Um, He's great. He's from House of Cards. Or he's not from House of Cards, but that's where I first saw him. And then he like went and did a whole bunch of other stuff. He's also in Luke Cage. At some point, we should so, yeah. do a True Detective show because um, I thought that season one was better than season two, but I didn't think season two was bad. Um, that's that's my unpopular opinion on, on that series. Um, I liked Vince Vaughn's character in that, which I know is, I don't know, I like that show. Both seasons. I have a, I, I have a lot of uh, I've, I've, I guess some interesting takes on uh, on True Detective season two, uh, but I also like True Detective season two. I think it is it suffers from kind of like the Matrix Reloaded disease of like the first one was just like so out of nowhere groundbreaking that living up to that hype is going to be like fucking impossible. Oh man, this, this um, is another episode we should. I just rewatched a couple scenes from. The Matrix, and uh, I was watching with a friend of the cast, Monik, um, and his his point was that the later movies were just a little bit too cerebral for for the theater, um, mm-hmm. and that they really need to be appreciated in their own right. Like I think I think a lot of that's kind of typified in the fact that so like, I I am a huge fan of the Matrix sequels. Um, I was not as a kid. I was also angry about them as a kid, but I watched them in college, and I was like, oh my god, these are actually like really philosophically interesting. Um, and I actually just watched a YouTube video. That's the first time I've ever had that opinion validated because most people just like reflexively hate them. Um, but if they kind of fall in that like Batman versus Superman place where like 
I don't really necessarily care if they're incredibly coherent. I think is they are they are movies that ask a lot of really interesting questions, and that's good enough for me, right? Fair enough. You know? um, uh, before we, before we wrap this up, this one quick question for you. Um, sure. What do you think of Cloud Atlas? Uh, I so I have not seen Cloud Atlas. Oof. We I have not seen Cloud movie. Atlas or Jupiter Ascending. But I, but I, but I have to because I like the Wachowskis. I think that they're great filmmakers. Yeah, um, I think that they're not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair yeah. enough. Um, and, and you know that's. You, have you seen like Speed Racer? Do you like Speed Racer? I have, I watched the Speed the Speed Racer trailer, and no, I I was like Speed Racer is insane. Okay, it is balls to the wall insane, but it is great. Okay, uh, <laughs> well, we'll have to do a Wachowski's episode at some point. Okay, that's um, fair. Yeah, what else? Because Jupiter Ascending, and then they had a Sense8 was their Netflix show that I never watched. Ah, all right. Well, we're way over time now, so I'm going to yeah, wrap yeah. this up. <laughs> if you want to email us about what you think of uh, Mechanical Atmosphere, that's what we talked about in this episode, um, uh, the Wachowskis or Harry Potter or anything else we talked about on this episode, email us at subdurstplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subdurstplaygames.com. Uh, you can follow us on uh, twitch.tv slash subdurstplaygames. You can follow us on YouTube. You can rate and review us on iTunes. Hit that subscribe button. Click those likes. Rate reviews for us on iTunes. Give us big smiles. Uh, I, that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I am looking to promote. In that case, until next time, loyal listeners. Uh, wait, no. What? Yeah. That's what I say. <laughs> you say. What do I say now? Until next time, dear listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> you, got, you got me. <laughs>